Good morning, everyone. How are we? It's great to have you here. Thank you, Mark and team. It's been beautiful this morning uh, to worship together. And it's a good morning. I'm excited. First day of Sunday school for the year is uh, exciting. And youth group starting this Friday night. Uh, That's really exciting as well. And life groups kicking off uh, this week or last week or next week uh, is great. And uh, I feel like for me, this Sunday is kind of like the first Sunday of the year for the church in a way. I know it's it's the start of February, but sort of when everything starts to kick off. And uh, I always think at the start of a new year, um, what is God going to do this year in and through the church? What's going to happen in the life of the church? What's God going to do? And so I approach a morning like this with a great sense of... uh, interest and encouragement and faith that God can do great things. Are you hopeful for that? I hope so. I hope so. Um, Jenny Jansen, happy birthday, by the way. I saw that on Facebook. I just thought I'd mention that. (laughs) Um, Don't know why, I just happened to see you just then and you'll appreciate that. I can tell by the look on your face. Very good. Um, Before I get into the message proper this morning, a couple of things. Uh, about some different ways that we're doing things this year. Uh, Firstly, so with our sermons this year, we're actually going to be preaching uh, during term time. So during the school term, we'll be preaching the same series, uh, the same messages across all three congregations. And so that uh, uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. It's so that as Hills Baptist in three places and three or two places and three congregations, we're actually got a unified sense of uh, what we're learning and what we're growing in together. And then tied to that, uh, available to all the life group leaders, is uh, a Bible study series that will match the sermon series being preached. So each term will produce a five-week study that's based on the sermon series that we do during that term. Term one will be two five-week series during the term, and then the remaining three terms will be one uh, nine- or ten-week series that will track through that term. And what that means is, as well as being unified in our, in our learning and our focus, it also means it's far more uh, efficient for preaching, so that it means that as well as preaching here in the morning, uh, still as much or more than I have been, I'll also be able to preach and do the same messages and preach at night more and preach at Verdun as well. It means that Nick will be able to preach not only at night, but come in, preach in the morning and that we'll have Dave across and things like that. And so we'll have some more uh, shared preaching from pastors and we'll use the holidays, December, January, etc. and gaps to have our lay preachers also still preaching. So that's what we're doing. We're also going to introduce every Sunday a new segment. And so every Sunday we'll either be having communion once per month, but on the other Sundays we're going to once a month hear a local mission story because we've actually got amazing people in our church doing amazing things in our community as an expression of their faith, yet we really rarely get to hear about them. So once per month we want to hear a local mission story and then once a month we're going to hear about our cross-cultural mission story, about either one of the missionaries or the organisations that we support. And on the other remaining Sunday of a month, we want to hear a testimony, uh, a brief testimony about one aspect of what God is doing in someone's life. So we want to be hearing from the the life of the church more broadly. Um, How are we tracking? All right. 
I'm going to get into my message. I've got a, I've got a message here. I'm starting a little later than, than I would have probably normally do. So uh, do I have permission to preach through my whole message? Is that, is that okay? All right. Excellent. There's a lot of enthusiasm for that. So that's encouraging. Let's start by, um, let's start by reading um, the two key passages that I want to focus on uh, this morning. This morning's message is the series that we're doing is around discipleship. It's called Get On Board, Building a Discipleship Culture. And uh, here's the two passages I want to focus on. First is from Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves uh, to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And then the next passage immediately follows it from the start of Acts chapter 3, a story of what actually was happening in that church in their daily lives. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. So this morning, as I said, the new series... Uh, get on board. This is a series about vision and mission. And this morning, I want to start by taking us right to our core vision as a church and focus on what our vision and our, vis- our mission is. But I thought I'd do that by starting with a game. Okay, you're up for a game? And the game is I'm going to read to you some mission statements from famous corporations and you have to see if you can guess them. All right. So here's the first one. Uh, To prevent and alleviate human suffering in the face of emergencies by mobilising the power of volunteers and the generosity of donors. Red Cross, bang, got it. Here we go. To organise the world's information and make it universally accessible and useful. Google, bang, you guys are smart. All right, so it gets a little harder. To refresh the world in mind, body and spirit, to inspire moments of optimism and happiness 
through our brands and actions. Coca-Cola, bang. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing that the power of sugar. Uh, okay, here's another one. To make people happy. The Wiggles. You're on track. You're on track. Disney. Disney. Happiest place on earth is Disneyland, if you like cues. Um, to inspire... I've actually taken two words out this to make a, a, of this one to make it a little harder. To inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person and one neighbourhood at a time. Everyone's gone blank. So I'm going I'm to add the two words that I took out. To inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, one cup, and one neighbourhood at a time. Starbucks. Wow. To inspire and nurture the human spirit. <laughs> it's the power of coffee. Um, what have we got? This is a personal one. This is a person. This isn't a corporation. This is a person. To be a teacher and to be known for inspiring my students to be more than they thought they could be. <laughs> Famous person. Famous media personality. American. Female. Oprah Winfrey. And now a famous business person, last one, second to last one. To have fun in my journey through life and learn from my mistakes. Richard Branson. Richard Branson. Isn't that amazing? You guys actually picked most of them very quickly. Here's another one, the last one. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. <laughs> I have come that people may have life and have it to the full. Okay, Jesus, very good. Uh, uh, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And a final one by Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoner and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free. Jesus had a very profoundly clear understanding of why he had come of his purpose, of his mission. What do we make of mission statements? Are they just corporate mumbo-jumbo or is there a power in them? Well, I would say that at their best, uh, mission and vision statements have the power to unite people towards a single purpose, to enable a, a group of people, an organisation or an individual to achieve a vision. A great example of this comes in the video that I am about to show. This is a great, one of the greatest examples in, in human history where a person set a vision and a mission that enabled a nation and a group of people to achieve something that seemed impossible. Five years ago, man learned to write and use a cart with wheels. Christianity began less than two years ago. The printing press came this year. And then, less than two months ago, during this whole 50-year span of human history, the steam engine provided a new source of power. 
Newton explored the meaning of gravity. Last month, electric lights and telephones and automobiles and airplanes became available. Only last week, we developed penicillin and television and nuclear power. This is a breathtaking pace. And such a pace cannot help but create new ills as it dispels old. So it is not surprising that some would have us stay where we are a little longer to rest, to wait. If this capsule history of our progress teaches us anything, it is that man in his quest for knowledge and progress is determined and cannot be deterred. We shall send to the moon, 240,000 miles away, a giant rocket more than 300 feet tall on an untried mission to an unknown celestial body and then return it safely to Earth. But why some say the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Five, 35 years ago, fly the Atlantic. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone. And therefore, as we set sail, we ask God's blessing on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. There it is. We choose to go to the moon. He set a vision in 1962 to do something that was technologically impossible. The vision was the vision that people, the vision would be a man on the moon. That's the vision, that moment. When they saw the man step onto the moon, that was the vision. And the mission was to build a rocket, to send him there, to land him, and then to remove him and bring him home safely. Sadly, JFK, 14 months later, would be assassinated and not see man land on the moon but within the decade 1969 man would land on the moon unbelievable what does vision and mission mean for our church where does it fit into our church church can be uh church can be a little bit like a group of people who gather to play darts every week a, a group of people who've been playing darts for many years they started out with uh with a weekly game of darts, but after a period of time, the, uh, the numbers began to fall off the dartboard. Then the, uh, the bullseye fell out. Then all the colours fell off. After some period of time, someone actually removed the dartboard. But people keep showing up every week to throw the darts at the wall. And the mission and purpose is gone, but the people keep going. They're not quite sure why. Someone once said, if you aim at nothing you're bound to hit your target. The target of some churches, sadly, has become to have enough people walk through the door on a Sunday, to have enough go in the offering that they can 
keep the building open on a Sunday. And it becomes merely about opening the door to run a service. But the mission of the church is meant to be so much more. Jesus gave the first Christians a crystal clear mission. We call it the Great Commission. He said, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. This is his final words before he ascended into heaven. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the end of the age. That is the mission that Jesus gave to the church, to go and make disciples. As a church, a couple of years ago, we set ourselves a vision, which hopefully you have heard many times over, to see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed. Our vision starts with Jesus, with worship. We want to be a church that above all, in everything we do, not just in the songs we sing, but in everything we do, we want to be giving glory to God. That the church is not being the church if, if glory is not being given to God, to Jesus. Secondly, though, we recognize that, that it's, it's profoundly a message about what God does in people's lives, the gospel. And so we want to see lives transformed. We want to see people healed and changed. We want to see people healed and changed physically, emotionally and spiritually. We want to see marriages transformed, lives transformed, families transformed and communities transformed. At its best, when the church is doing what it's doing, this is what happens. And secondly, we want to be a people who not just see transformation happening within, but we want to see transformation happening without, and we want to see the gospel message being proclaimed outside our walls as we live our lives among a community, the wider community. So we want to see the hope of the gospel being revealed. Jesus glorified, life transformed, and hope revealed. Our mission uh, is a statement we've hardly ever mentioned, but we have got one. We've, I want to shorten it because it, it says something like this. To develop and equip passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel to the Adelaide Hills and beyond. Or if we shorten it down, just to develop and equip passionate disciples of Jesus. Our mission, how are we going to reach that vision, is by making disciples. Now, in Acts 2, we see an incredible picture of a community of the church on mission. We go back to that passage. Uh, the church in Acts 2 is brand new. It has recently been birthed. The church consists at this time of a tiny group of followers of Jesus. They do not even at this point have the name Christians. They are known as followers. What are they known as? Followers of the way. Whether they just consider themselves, we're followers of the way. That there had been a way set for them by Jesus that they followed. They had no building. They had no budget. They had no staff. They had no Sunday service. They looked anything like we have. They had no car park to complain about it being too small. They were living in a world that was either hostile to their faith, but actually at this time probably largely ignorant of this new faith. Their faith was dismissed as being a strange sect of Judaism. Uh, it was very largely misunderstood, if heard of at all. And uh, persecution would quickly become part of their reality. 
But despite of the challenges that came from the outside, on the inside, something that was happening in this church that would enable it to be phenomenally effective in spreading the gospel message, making disciples, seeing lives transformed, seeing hope being revealed. And we see it in this passage. The end of Acts chapter 2 is kind of this brief capture of the best of what was happening in this church. When you look at that passage, I can ask you, what, how would you describe the culture of this church? What words come to your mind, and I'm happy for anyone just to call something out. What words describe the culture of the church that you read there? Committed? Committed. Others? Others. Community? Community. Giving? Giving. Generous? Generous. Hopeful? Passionate? Fellowship? Focused? Growing? United? Wow. Wow. And that's really the, the, the desire, isn't it? That that could be said of us as a church. I've got to say that Acts chapter 2 has profoundly shaped my ministry. Um, it popped up on my Facebook feed this week, not only that it's Jenny's birthday today, but also that a photo popped up of a of a much younger man starting out a new church, a uh, photo of me eight years ago starting in ministry here at Allgate. A uh, man with considerably more hair than he has now. Um, when I started in ministry, when I started in ministry in this church, Acts chapter 2 was and remains the vision that I'm seeking to lead the churches that I'm blessed to lead into. It, it shapes my understanding. It's what I'm desiring to pursue. A church that is committed and united and focused and has wonderful fellowship and is dynamic and is purposeful. One where uh, devotion to the word, devotion to fellowship, devotion to the mission defines what we do. And as we see uh, this church in chapter 2, we then see straight after, as I said, uh, a picture, because at the very last few words there, it says, and daily uh, the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. We might say, well, how was that happening? And then straight away we see in chapter 3 a story about how that was happening and what the, what the disciples were doing when they were not just meeting together, but when they were living their daily lives. And uh, there's a few things I want to point out in this story very briefly. The first is that Peter and John in this story were not going out on a missionary adventure. They had not got up in the morning and said, right, let's go out and find someone to pray for or someone to, to heal. Let's go out and, and we're going to spend the morning trying to be on mission. They had gone out to do what they were doing and what other people were doing, which was, as people did, to go up to the temple at three o'clock in the afternoon to pray, right? That's, they weren't the only ones doing that. That's what a lot of people were doing. There would have been a crowd of people heading toward the temple to pray and passing by this man who was begging. They were just doing their daily life. But while they were doing that, Peter and John knew they had a mission, 
They knew they were living for a purpose beyond just going about daily life. Jesus himself had personally commissioned them into a mission. The Spirit at Pentecost had come upon them to empower them for that mission, and so they were living for a purpose. So when that man called out to them, they stopped and they looked. Now, beggars, people don't stop and look at beggars. You pass by a beggar and you don't make eye contact. Even if you throw a few coins to that beggar, you don't make eye contact with that person. People don't do that. That's not how things normally work. But because they knew they were on a mission, they lived differently to those around them who were passing by. They stopped, they looked, they engaged. They said to the man, look at us. That's the first thing. The action of Peter and John begs the question of us. Tomorrow, you will go about your normal daily life. You will not probably uh, wake up and say, today I cast aside everything and I'm going to wander the streets looking for someone to pray for. Most of you have jobs to do or an agenda to follow or tasks that you need to get through. And that's normal and that's okay. But the question is, do you do that with a deeper understanding that in your doing and in your going, you are on a mission? You have a mission to live for. That's the difference that Peter and John knew. The second thing to say uh, is this. Um, and hold on, let me back back on that. The church has done a terrible thing in its history, I think in that actually separated out the concept of a person being a missionary and a person not being a missionary. And it said, oh, the missionary is the person who travels overseas and does mission. They're a missionary. And everyone else is left to fund the missionary who does the mission. But the mission field is now Australia, as much as it's anywhere else in the world. And so our mindset's got to change. Yes, they're cross-cultural missionaries and the work they do is wonderful and valuable. I'm not, you understand, I'm not demeaning it there. But we too are on mission in our lives. Uh, second thing to say is this. Peter and John, um, secondly, were bold enough to speak and to act. And not only that, but they declared the name of Jesus. Isn't it interesting? Mark said that in worship earlier. What a, what a powerful name it is. We see that in this passage. They don't just pray for this guy and say, get up and walk. They say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. They were bold enough to speak and to act. And there are times when our faith is going to compel us to speak or to act, or to speak and to act. Third point is this. Uh, Peter and John don't just stop with the healing of the man. They actually go on after the crowd gathers and goes, wow, what's, what's happened here? They go on, if you read the passage, to explain the gospel. If we look at verse 19 of chapter 3, uh, Peter says this. He says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins might be wiped out. And the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. He ends up actually proclaiming the gospel and calling people to put their faith in Jesus and gives them an opportunity to do this. And it's interesting, this passage, because if I look at our vision statement for our church, I don't have to try and squeeze it into this passage. 
Do we see a life getting transformed? Yes, absolutely. Do we see Jesus being glorified? Absolutely, in Peter and what John do. But not only that, in the man who ends up leaping and praising God. And do we see hope being revealed? Absolutely, in the words that Peter teaches to the crowd. It's interesting, the, the image of the man who sits by the gate. It's symbolic, because inside the temple courts is where people went to encounter God and worship Him. And he sits by the gate. Every day, his mates brought him to the gate, but he never ever got to go through the gate. And this is the challenge. This is the mission we have, that we might actually help people who have never, ever been through the gates into the place where they will worship and praise God, that we might lift up and we might bind up and we might help out the broken and the struggling and the lost, and we might help take them through the gate, not just to the gate, but through the gate into the courts of God, that they might praise Him. That's our mission. Why do we need a vision and mission statement? The answer is because it is so easy for us to lose sight of our purpose. When we lose sight of our mission, what happens? When we lose sight of our mission, this is what happens. Church becomes about comfort and convenience, not sacrifice and service. Comfort and convenience, not sacrifice and service. When we do, church becomes about preference, not purpose. Preference. And whose preference is most important? Our own preference. This is how I like things. And I'd like you to do it the way I like it because preference is what matters most. My preference. No, it's not about preference. It's about purpose. And lastly, the church goes from being a movement, becomes an institution. I don't want to lead an institution. No interest in doing that. I want to be part of a movement that is changing lives, that is glorifying God and seeing the hope of the gospel revealed. I shared JFK's speech earlier. But there is a, a profound difference between uh, the role J, between JFK and myself. For a start, he had magnificent hair, and, uh, and I don't. But that's not the only thing. JFK had the power as the President of the United States to stand up and make a declaration. He said, we choose to go to the moon. And as the most powerful man on earth, he said, this is what we will be doing. And every employer of NASA and everyone else who got hired into that and every government employee and everyone who set the budget and was involved in that, everyone was required to get behind that because he was the boss. I am not the boss <laughs> in the same way. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I don't have the power to say this is how it is. All I have to do, all I have is the power to call us toward a greater vision and purpose. All I have to do is say, uh, will you, will we be a disciple-making church? Will we choose to do all we can to see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed? I can't make anyone here do anything we need to choose. You need to choose what you're about. Will you choose preference or purpose? Will you choose service and sacrifice or rest in comfort and convenience? Will you choose being devoted to one another? Or will we just live out an imitation of genuine community in 2020? 
You need to choose. Are you going to get on board? There's going to be opportunities in the next couple of Sundays to get on board in serving. There's opportunities in the next couple of Sundays to get on board by joining a life group. There's an opportunity next Sunday to get on board by getting in your car and being part of this church service and to do that the Sunday after and the one after that. Or not. The choice is yours. The question I ask, there's opportunities to get connected in some way. There's an opportunity to show your love for another person in one way or another. It doesn't take a great deal. The words that you speak will determine whether you've chosen to get on board. A word of encouragement, a word of care. It doesn't take a lot. Just asking someone how they're going. Uh, encouraging someone who you've seen do, do something that's blessed other people. Thanking someone where they've been a blessing to you. We can all get on board. So what does it look like for you? What does getting on board look like in 2020? Where do you need to challenge yourself? What changes, what changes needed in the way that you live as a disciple? Can we have the band up while I finish off? Proverbs 29 verse 18 says this. Uh, different versions say it different ways, but some versions say this. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Other versions say this. Where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. The image is... Where there's no vision, instead of something working together and being organized and structured, it is like pick-up sticks where it gets dropped and stuff goes everywhere. Where there's no vision, the people cast off restraint. But the opposite is true. Where there is vision, there is purpose. There is unity. There is focus. Not just any purpose do we have, but we are united in the greatest cause the world has ever known, the cause of Christ. To make known the greatest message the world has ever known, the message of the gospel. To reveal the greatest truth the world has ever known, that Jesus is Lord. To bring the greatest reward the world has ever known, which is new and eternal life through faith in Jesus. So my prayer for you this year, today, Tomorrow, this year, is that we together will unite for the cause of Christ to make disciples through the mission and vision of this church. Not because this task is easy, but because it is hard. Because that goal should serve to organise the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one we are willing to accept. Because that challenge is one we are unwilling to postpone. Therefore, as we set sail, we ask God's blessing on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked to follow Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray for our church this morning. Pray for our church as a whole. Verdun, all gate here in the morning, those that will meet tonight. May we be united across the hills as Hills Baptist. Not just thinking that church is about opening up the doors and coming in to hear a sermon and worship or, or just kind of doing this or doing that, but we would live with a deep 
purpose. All that we do would reflect our mission. Help us to be a church that grows as a disciple-making church. Help us as leaders, those of us who are elders and pastors, in leadership ministry roles, that we might serve as people with a vision to build a culture of discipleship in church that's stronger than what we have now. May you work, God, by your power, that you would be truly glorified in what we do, that many lives would be transformed this year in so many different ways, and that the wonderful hope of your gospel would be revealed in and through our church. For our good, for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.